it's pretty easy for us to be enticed with new. Like a new car. A new home. This is cute. A new job. <laughs> a new trend. A new look. A new you. Nope. And maybe that's not a bad thing. Because our creator seems to be all about new. Like a new promise. A new command. mercies, and even a new year. God not only loves new, but promises to make all things new. And we are invited into the sacred work. And I know that some of you are going to disagree with me, but I've got a statement I'm going to make right now. And if you disagree with me, I want you to know that you're wrong. I grew up in the greatest era of music ever in human history. I mean, when I was growing up, it was the best. We had Leonard Skinner, Freebird, Led Zeppelin, Stairway to Heaven, The Eagles, Hotel California, Queen, Bohemian Rhapsody. And there were so many other bands like that. It was amazing. But there was one band that I really didn't listen to that, that kind of came around at the end of my teenage years that, that did a cover song from the 60s that is just stuck in my head from that time until present. I mean, it's one of those things where the title and the chorus just never leave you. The band was called The Clash. It was a British punk band. And the song was, I Fought the Law. Any of you ever heard that song, I Fought the Law? I'm going to sing it for you. <laughs> I am. I'm going to sing it for you. And if you want to sing the chorus with me, you can. I'm not going to sing the whole thing, but I'm going to sing some of it. So you do it with me, okay? Breaking rocks in the hot sun, I fought the law and the law won. I needed money because I had none. I fought the law and the law won. Robbing people with a six-gun, I fought the law and the law won. I lost my girl and I lost my fun, I fought the law and the Yeah, yeah. You can buy that song on YouTube right now for one dollar, and it will go to beyond, okay? I'm going to start my rock career on Monday. I'm going to start my rock career on Monday. Now, that song spoke to a rebel generation like myself. That song gave one message, you can fight against the law, but sooner or later, the law is going to win. And what you need to understand is that's one of the primary messages of the book of Romans. Whenever we try to fight against the law, the law will always win out. Now, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. And while you're looking that up, I want to give you a little review of where we have been thus far. Because it is so important for you to understand this flow in the book of Romans. In Romans 1, 2, and 3, the primary message that we are given is this. 
We are guilty before God, each and every one of us. We've all sinned against God. We've all broken His commands. We've all rebelled against His rule. We've all rejected His will and replaced it with our own. And because of that, we deserve death. I deserve death. You deserve death. When you read Romans 1, 2, and 3, that's the primary message we're going to get. But when we move into chapters 4 and 5, the message shifts. And we are given some good news. We are told in chapters 4 and 5 that in spite of our sin, in spite of our rebellion, in spite of our guilt, God loves us. And God has provided a way to forgive us and restore our relationship with Him. And that way is through His Son, Jesus. His Son, Jesus, came to this earth, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for our sins in our place. But He didn't stay dead. On the third day, Jesus defeated sin. He defeated death by being resurrected proving that he was who he said he was and proving that he did what he said he was going to do. Die in our place on the cross. But here's the catch. For his death to do us any good, we have to receive him. We have to accept him by faith. When we accept his gift of salvation by faith, we are saved. And the Bible tells us that we are made new. Our sins are forgiven. But when we move into chapter 6, the message begins to shift again. In chapter 6, we are beginning to be told that when Jesus saves us by faith, He not only gives us a new home in heaven for all eternity, He gives us a new life here and now. And you see, that's the good news. The good news isn't just that when it's all said and done and we come to the end of our life, we have something to look forward to and praise God for that, amen? Because every one of us are going to come to the end of our life one day. But the gospel also says that in this world, even though we have problems, even though we're going to experience suffering, even though there's going to be pain, we can have an abundant life right here and now. God has made us new. We have been born again. And that's what chapter 6 is really all about. In chapter 6, we're told that when we're saved, we have died with Christ to sin. And we've been resurrected to live a new life. But when we move into chapter 7, Paul begins to deal with two things. First of all, he begins to deal with our relationship with the law. How, how do we as Christians now relate to the law of God? Because the law of God's still here. And then as we come to the second part of the chapter, verses 14 and following, Paul becomes very transparent. He gets very personal. And he opens up and he lets us in on his struggle. He lets us know that even though many of us would consider him the greatest Christian who ever lived, he struggled with this thing called sin. So today we're going to look at verses 1 through 13. Next week we're going to look at verse 14 through the end of the chapter. 
So if your Bibles are open to chapter 7, let's begin in verse 1. Now, dear brothers and sisters, you who are familiar with the law, don't you know that the law applies? And other translations say the law has power only while a person is living. For example, when a woman marries, the law binds her to her husband as long as he is alive. But if he dies, the laws of marriage no longer apply to her. So while her husband is alive, she would be committing adultery if she married another man. But if her husband dies, she is freed from the law and does not commit adultery when she remarries. So, my dear brothers and sisters, this is the point. You died to the power of the law when you died with Christ. And now you are united. That word united can be translated married. And now you are married with the one who was raised from the dead. As a result, we can produce a harvest of good deeds for God. When we're controlled by our old nature, sinful desires were at work within us. And the law aroused these evil desires that produce a harvest of sinful deeds resulting in death. But now we have been released from the law. For we died to it and are no longer captive to its power. Now we can serve God. Not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law. But in the new way of living in the spirit. Now I want you to hold on to that truth. That's the key to everything else we're going to see over the next several weeks. Well then, am I suggesting that the law of God is sinful? Of course not. In fact, it was the law that showed me my sin. I would have never known that coveting is wrong if the law had not said, you must not covet. But sin used this command to arouse all kinds of covetous desires within me. If there were no law, sin would not have that power. At one time, I lived without understanding the law. But when I learned the command not to covet, for instance, the power of sin came to life and I died. So I discovered that the law's commands, which were supposed to bring life, brought spiritual death instead. Sin took advantage of those commands and deceived me. It used the commands to kill me. But still, the law itself is holy. And its commands are holy and right and good. But how can that be? Did the law which is good cause my death? Of course not. Sin used what was good to bring about my condemnation to death. So we can see how terrible sin really is. It uses God's good commands for its own evil purposes. Now this passage is all about our relationship to the law as believers. The word law is found 23 times in this one chapter. Now when we're talking about the law of God, we're talking about all the laws that are written in the Bible. I've been told that there are over 600 laws in the Bible. Now, I've never numbered them and counted them, but I trust the people that say that. Over 600 commands. There are ceremonial laws. Those laws that, that have to do with sacrifices and rituals and food restrictions and worship. There are civil laws that, that have to do with how the people of God are to be governed as a nation, as a country. And then there are moral laws, laws that refer to the ethics, how we are to live rightfully with, with one another and with God. 
In these first 13 verses, we discover three truths about God's law. And that's what I want to talk to you about for the next few minutes. The first thing Paul tells us is the power of the law. Write that down, the power of the law. Two weeks ago, I told you about two major mistakes that, that many people make as they seek to live the Christian life. The first mistake is legalism. Legalism is the belief that I can become holy and I can please God by obeying the law. Legalism measures spiritual, spirituality with a checklist, a, a list of do's and don'ts. If I do the things I should do, I'm going to be okay. If I don't do the things I shouldn't do, I'm going to be okay. And so I have my list of do's, I have my list of don'ts, and I check off that list. But legalism is not biblical. Warren Wiersbe said the weakness of legalism is it sees sins plural, but not sin singular, which is the root of all sin, which is the root of all of our problems. You see, legalism binds us. It's a yoke that is impossible to be under. We can never obey the law to the degree that it will please God. And so if we are living under the yoke of legalism, we are never going to be free to enjoy the Christian life. But then there's another error that people make, another false teaching, another mistake, and that is license. License is the belief that since I am saved by grace through faith in Jesus, it doesn't matter what I do, it doesn't matter how I live, I am free to sin if I want to sin. But the problem with license is it breaks us, it enslaves us, and license will eventually destroy us. You see, Paul tells us in this passage that there is a better way. And that better way is the way of liberty. Living under the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't live according to the letter of the law. We live by the Spirit of God. When God's Spirit comes to live in our life, our desires change. Our wants change. Our wishes change. And so we're not following the law. It's not that we've cast off all restraints. It's that we are able to live in liberty because God's Spirit is living in us. Now notice how Paul begins. He tells us that the law applies or has authority or power over every living person. Every person is under the power of the law. It doesn't matter whether... You're religious or irreligious. It doesn't matter whether you're a Christian, a Jew, a Muslim, a Buddhist, a Hindu, or an atheist. Every living person is under the power of the law. It doesn't matter whether you've ever read the law. You're under its power. It doesn't matter whether you've ever heard the law. You are under its power. Because the Bible says that God has written the law on every human heart. And because we are under the power of the law, that means that we are responsible to follow its commands to the letter. We are responsible to obey its intent perfectly. And we will be judged by its teachings without exception. 
In other words, one day, each and every one of us will give an account of our life as to whether we have broken God's law every single part of it. What that means is that if you follow most of the law, but you mess up in a few areas, you're guilty of breaking the law. The Bible even says it this way. The Bible says if you do everything that God's law says and yet you fail in one small area, you're guilty of breaking the entire law of God. It's not enough to try hard. It's not enough to do your best. It's not enough to follow most of it. If you break God's law, you're guilty. The law has the power to to send a person to heaven if they follow the law perfectly. But the law also has the power to send a person to hell if they break the law at all. And here's the problem. You and I will never be able to perfectly follow the law. Therefore, we can never get to heaven by living according to the law. And as long as I'm alive, I'm under the law. I'm under its power. I'm under its authority. I'm under its judgment. Listen to me. The only way that you and I can ever break free from the power of the law is to die. Did you hear me? The only way that you and I can ever become free from the law is to die. And this is where Paul gives us an example to help us better understand what he's saying. And he gives us the example of marriage. Now understand, he's not trying to teach us marital truth here. He's given us an example to teach us a truth about the law. But this is what he said. He says that under the law, when a man marries a woman, they are married till death do them part. You hear me? When a man and a woman marry, the only way out of the marriage is death. Either the husband dies or the wife dies. Until then, if you get remarried, you've committed adultery. But if the husband dies or the wife dies, then you're free to remarry. And Paul says we are married to the law, each and every one of us. Now here's the thing. The law is perfect. Can you imagine being married to a perfect spouse? Who expects you to be perfect? Some of you, don't say it. I I know what some of you are thinking. Yeah, they're right beside me right now. It's not going to do you any good to say that, okay? It's not going to help you. But there are some of us who may have a little idea about what it means to be married to someone who thinks they're perfect. But can you imagine being married to someone who is perfect? And because they're perfect, They expect you to be perfect. That would be absolutely miserable, wouldn't it? You'd be praying each and every day, Lord, kill him, Lord, kill him, Lord, kill him. (laughs) You'd be praying that because you would be miserable in that relationship. But here's the problem about being married to the law. The law's not going to die. The law's going to stay around forever. Jesus said this. He said, till heaven and earth pass away, not one little bit of my law will pass away. Did you hear that? God's law isn't dying. And so the only hope that you and I ever have of being freed from the power of the law is 
to die. That's the only hope we have. Back in 1991, there was a movie that came out. Julia Roberts was the star titled Sleeping with the Enemy. She was married to a control freak, an abusive husband, and so she faked her death to try to escape from that marriage. And can I tell you, there are some that have faked their death spiritually. You act like you've died, but you haven't. You see, God knows whether you've really died or not. You can't fake your death when it comes to the law. You have to die. And Paul says that's what happens when we place our faith in Jesus. He says when we place our faith in Jesus, we die with Christ to sin. And we are resurrected a brand new person. Now, why is this important? What Paul says in chapter 7 is this. He said, if I die with Christ and I'm resurrected a new person, then I am free to marry someone else. And the someone else that I marry is Jesus. Did you get that? You see, when I die to sin with Christ and I'm resurrected a brand new person, now I am free to fall in love with Jesus and enter into a devoted relationship with Him. And that's what happens when we're saved. We're saved from the power of the law, from the curse of the law, and we're able to start this new relationship with Jesus Christ. Romans 6 is all about that. We have died with Christ to sin. We've been resurrected a new person. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ is a new person. The old life is gone. It's dead. Everything has become new. Galatians 2, 20, my old self has been crucified with Christ, nailed to a cross. It is no longer I who live. It's now Christ who lives in me. You see, because we've died to the law, we're able to be devoted to Christ. We can be bound to Him. Now, that doesn't mean we can live our life without restraint. It doesn't mean that at all. But what it means is, it's no longer the law, hear me, that restrains us. It is love that restrains us. Sherry and I have been married for 36 years. There have been a few times where She's driven me crazy. There have been numerous times where I drove her crazy. But in, in the midst of all of that, and I loved her. I, I mean, I look at her right now, and I think, boy, you're smoking hot to be old. <laughs> I love you. I love her more today than I have ever loved her in my life. And, and because of that, man, I don't want to look at other women. And because of that, I don't want to live my life selfishly. I, I want to live my life for her and with her because I love her. And you see, when we enter into a relationship with Jesus, it's not about following the letter of the law. That's what Paul says. It's about living by the Spirit 
because we love Jesus and we're devoted to him. Uh, Understand, when you give your life to Jesus and you're born again, you're going to have a desire to live the way he wants you to live. And there are going to be times that you're going to fail. There are going to be times that you mess up. There are going to be times that you blow it. But in your heart of hearts, you love him. And you want to serve him. And you want to make him happy because you love him. Man, I want to make Sherry happy. I don't want her to go to bed sad at night. I want her to go to bed happy, filled with joy, feeling secure because of my relationship with her. And and I believe that when we have a relationship with Jesus, our desire is to make him happy. We just want to love him with all of our heart. And that's what he is saying here. He is saying that the power of the law is over every person. As long as you're living, you're under its power, its authority, its control, its judgment. But when you die with Christ... You're free. And now you can enter into this new relationship with Jesus that isn't about following the letter of the law. It's about living according to His Spirit, letting His Spirit guide and direct everything you do. The power of the law. Law has power over every living person. So are you alive or have you died with Christ? The next thing Paul talks about is the purpose of the law. The Bible makes it clear throughout that the law doesn't save. It could never save. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is, if the law doesn't save, if the law never could save, what's the purpose of the law? And though the law has multiple purposes, the primary purpose of the law is it makes us aware of our sin. This is what Paul says. Paul says we would never even know what sin was apart from the law. Now, it's interesting that the sin that Paul speaks about here is coveting. Now, coveting is one of the the Ten Commandments, one of the big ones, but, but I don't think most of us probably think about coveting as one of those big sins, do we? I mean, when we think about sins, we think about drunkenness and promiscuity and murder and stealing and, and those kind of things, right? I mean, we don't think about coveting because coveting is something that can happen on the inside and never make its way to the outside. I mean, I can covet what you have and yet never act on that covetous spirit. And yet the Bible says because I've coveted it, it is still sin. Now, why did God do that? Why did God choose this inward sin instead of this outward sin as an example of how the law arouses sin in us? Here's why. Because I believe many of us today are moral pagans. Did you hear me? We are moral pagans. I want you to look at me. There are some of you in this room. I don't know who you are. This is between you and God. But there are some of you in this room who are moral pagans. And what I mean by that is you have this idea that if I check the list off right and I say I love Jesus, I believe in Jesus, then everything is okay. That the Christian life is all about checking off a list of moral do's and don'ts. Many of us as Baptists think, you know, if I want to be a good Christian, I don't smoke, drink, cuss, or chew, or go with women who do. 
And we think that if we do that, then everything is okay in our life. But see, the law points not only to these glaring failures on the outside, the law reveals our attitudes and our inward heart's desires on the inside that are displeasing to God. And God says that those things on the inside are actually the root problem of all of our sins. Do you remember the rich young ruler? Remember him? Came to Jesus, said, Master, teacher, what do I need to do to have eternal life? Jesus said, what does the law say? And the rich young ruler quoted the law, do not do this, do not do this, do not do this, do not do this, do not do this. Jesus said, great, follow the law and you'll live. That's what Jesus said. Follow the law, you'll live. You know what the rich young ruler said? He said, whoa, I've done all of these things since I was young. Talk about being self-unaware. <laughs> he was standing in front of the holy of holies, the perfect son of God. And he is spouting off what he had done. He had broken every single one of those commands. And he didn't even know it. He was totally oblivious to the fact that he needed help. Jesus told him, what does the law say? To show him his need. Because the law does that to us. But he didn't see his need. And so that's why Jesus said, okay then. Go sell everything you've got. Give it to the poor. Then come follow me. You'll have riches in heaven. You remember what the rich young ruler did, right? He walked away sad because he was very wealthy. You see, Jesus showed his heart problem. He had a heart problem. And we need to understand that, that our primary problem is a heart problem. Many of us in this room, we think that if we don't cuss and we don't get R-rated movies, and we don't drink, and we don't smoke, and we don't do this. Then, man, we are on God's A-team, and yet we gossip. We gossip all the time. Don't get me wrong. I like a good piece of gossip. Man, it tastes good going in. It tastes good going out. I mean, I, I, I'm tempted to gossip just like everybody else is. But i got to tell you, I realize it's sin. And when I do it, the Holy Spirit of God jumps all over me. There are some of you that gossip like crazy. You talk about people behind their backs almost every day. And then you try to justify it by saying, well, I was just praying. I was just sharing some information I thought people needed to know. Gossip. What about jealousy? We look at what somebody else has, where someone else lives, cars they drive, the things they have, and we get jealous. Jealousy is a sin. It is a sin. And we could go on and on and on. You see, the law wasn't given 
to make us right with God. The law wasn't given to remove our sin. The law was given to reveal our sin. And here's what I believe. The more we read God's Word, the closer we get with Jesus, the more we see our sin. And we begin to long for that day when Jesus will make all things new. So what is the purpose of the law? The law reveals our sin. It makes us aware of our sin. As believers, that's what it does. It shows us that we're not living in a way that's pleasing to God. The final thing I want to give you is this, the problem with the law. Is the problem that the the law was bad? No. The Bible makes it clear that the law was holy. The law was right. The law was good. That's what it says in these verses. The law reveals God's standard by which he wants us to live in his kingdom. The law reveals the character of God. So what's the problem of the law? Well, Paul tells us the first problem is the law not only makes us aware of our sin, it arouses our sin. He tells us that in verses 5 and 8. You would think that when we know something is wrong, we would stay away from it, right? But that's not our human nature. I I mean, if there's a sign that says, do not touch, there's something inside of us that says, I got to touch. If there is a sign that says no trespassing, we want to know what's on the other side of that sign that we're not supposed to trespass for. We do it. Adam and Eve did it, didn't they? I mean, God gave them one law, one command. Don't eat the fruit from this tree. If you do, I'm just telling you, you're going to die. You can eat the fruit from this tree and this tree and this tree and this tree and this tree. tree. Every other tree, you can eat its fruit, but you can't eat the fruit from this one tree. I imagine, I don't know how long. It might have been hundreds of thousands of years. I don't know. But Adam and Eve, they looked at that tree. They went, man, I'll bet you that fruit's better than every other piece of fruit in this garden. And then what did the enemy do? The enemy came in and said, if you eat that fruit, you're going to be just like God. And what did they do? The one thing that God told them not to do, they did, didn't they? You see, the law arouses our sin. When we hear what we're not supposed to do, we have a tendency to want to do it. When we hear what we're supposed to do, we have a tendency to not want to do it. I mean, goodness gracious, I do that. I'm driving down the road and the speed, speed limit is 15 miles an hour. I go, that's ridiculous. I mean, last night we were coming back from, coming back from Augusta and wasn't paying attention. And, and I looked at my speedometer and checking for law enforcement officers. I looked at my speedometer. I was going 97 miles an hour. I was just trucking along. And I said to Sherry, you know, there's nobody on this road. I really feel like you can drive as safe at 97 as you can at 70. And she said, you crazy. Slow it down. Well, I'd already started slowing it down. But I didn't want to slow it down to 70. Because I felt how good 97 felt. I think we'd get home three minutes earlier. I, I doubt, I doubt there is any popo between here and exit 51. And we justify the law arouses the desire to break 
the law. That's just how it is. But there's a second problem. Paul tells us the law brings death. Paul said that sin used what was good, the law, to bring about our condemnation. The law doesn't kill us. The law is not what brings our death, but the law is what reveals the fact that we have broken the law, which results in our condemnation, which brings death. Let me give you an example. Suppose you start hurting in your abdomen, and it doesn't go away. And so you go to the doctor, you tell him your symptoms, and he says, you know, let's, let's just be better safe than sorry. I want to go get an MRI done of your stomach. And they get the MRI done, and the doctor calls you back. You're sitting in the doctor's office, and the doctor looks you square in the eye. Says, I don't know how to tell you this, but you're eat up with cancer. You've got a month to live at, at best. Do, do you begin to get mad at the MRI? Because the MRI revealed that you have cancer? The MRI didn't give you the cancer. The MRI isn't what has caused your death. It's, it's the cancer that has caused the death. The MRI only revealed you're sick and you're going to die. And that's what the law does. The law reveals that we are spiritually sick and we're going to die. On our own, we're without hope. But praise God. We got a doctor. His name is Jesus, Dr. Jesus. He's the great physician. And this sickness caused sin that leads to death that the MRI of the law revealed, we can be healed. And what God is going to do is through Jesus, He is going to put to death our sin and He is going to allow us to be resurrected a brand new person so that we can live a new life without the power of sin controlling us anymore. That's what can happen. And so my question for you is this. Have you died to sin? Have you died to the power of the law? Or are you still living your life checking off a list saying, Man, I hope, I hope, I hope when I stand before God, I've checked enough boxes. I hope I've done the right things. That's what it is. You've still married to the law. And you need to die. Because I'm here to tell you, the law is a terrible spouse. You're never going to have joy. You're never going to have peace. You're never going to have freedom. But when you die with Christ, and you die to the law, and you are married anew to Christ changes everything and all of a sudden you realize wow this is how it's supposed to be 
This is, this is what I was meant to do. This is how I was meant to live. And, and it doesn't mean that you won't mess up and blow it. It doesn't mean that you won't have good days and bad days. We're going to talk about Paul's struggle next week. But what it does mean is in the midst of the struggle, even in the midst of the struggle, you have freedom and you have joy because you realize that you're no longer bound to the law. You're in love with Jesus. And so what about it? Are you in love with Jesus? Has he changed your life? I want you to bow your head with me. I want you to close your eyes. And just very simply, very quickly, if you're here and, and today you realize I've been living my spiritual life checking a list. I've been married, bound to, under the power of the law. And I need to die so that I can enter into a life-changing relationship with Jesus. If that's where you are then I want to encourage you to pray this prayer right now to Him with all your heart. Father, I humbly come before you this morning admitting my sin. I've lived life my way. I've tried to please you by following rules. And I've been miserable. Today, I realize my best effort will never be good enough. So I'm going to quit trying. I'm going to trust you. Father, I believe you sent your son Jesus to die for my sins on the cross. I believe Jesus defeated sin and death for me. And today, I'm trusting Jesus to save me. Jesus, I'm asking you to come into my life and take control. I love you. I want to live for you and serve you and be devoted to you. Fill me with the Holy Spirit 